Are you scared yet? <laughs> I am so excited about this particular series. Of course, it is the month of October, and this time of the year is often referred to as spooky season. And hey, spooky season can be a lot of fun, can't it? I mean, this is the time where we start to get sweater weather. We've got PSLs everywhere. Of course, we've got football happening. And then there are the holidays. It's Thanksgiving, and it's Halloween. Christmas is just around the corner. This is a very, very cool time of the year. And if you're a kid, this might be like the second best time of the year, only second to Christmas. You know what I mean? Like who wouldn't love dressing up as a superhero and getting bags full of candy? That would be pretty incredible. Oh, by the way, on October 23rd, so the third Sunday of this month, we're going to be asking and answering the question, should Christians celebrate Halloween in our morning service? So I don't want you to miss that. Plan on being here. To what extent should Christians engage with that particular holiday? So we call this spooky season, but it's not only because of Halloween, right? It's fall, so the days are getting shorter. The weather is turning a bit colder. Some of you guys are not willing to acknowledge that fact just yet. I'm wearing a jacket and a hoodie. I saw Kyle wearing shorts and a t-shirt. He just got back from, uh, from LA. He was like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not. And you want to know what's really weird? For various reasons that we cannot fully explain, like some of it's obvious and we understand, but then there are other things going on that scientists can't fully uh, articulate. For some reason or another, people are statistically more likely to die in the winter than in the summer. Do you know that? Like there is a significantly more likelihood, higher likelihood that you'll pass at this time of the year. So during spooky season, okay, we are literally moving from warm to cold, from light to dark, from life to death. No wonder this season seems a little bit scary to us. No wonder Halloween happens in October instead of April. No wonder Hollywood releases all their horror movies this month out of the year. No wonder we think about our mortality more often or we think about the supernatural during all of these months. And hear me when I say that's not a bad thing. I actually think this rhythm that God has built into creation in which we have to confront our own mortality and we have to deal with the fact that like bad things happen and we have real fears in life. I think all of that is good and right and healthy. It's so part of the way things should be. Summer makes us feel invincible, but fall reminds us that we're not. And we need that reminder throughout the year. And yet spooky season can go too far can't it? It can. It can cause us to become too focused on unhealthy and evil things. Let's be real. This month, many Christians will focus more on serial killers than they will the Savior. It'll happen. If we aren't careful, spooky season can move us from an awareness of the supernatural, which is good, to a preoccupation with the paranormal or the demonic. That can be bad. Spooky season can cause us to move from acknowledging fear to living in fear, to being constantly afraid every single day. So that's why I think it's appropriate that we kick off both this season and this series with a reminder of what the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For many people, this is one of their favorites in the entire Bible, and it's one we need to know very dearly. The scripture says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound judgment. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, Dan, that's good, but I don't really have a spirit of fear. I'm not a fearful person, even during spooky season. You know, I'm just not a scaredy cat. I own a pet snake. 
I laugh when I go through haunted houses. I go rock climbing for fun. I bought a condo earlier this year at the height of the market, okay? I don't know if I'm brave or foolish, but one thing I can say is I'm not cowardly. And I get it. You may not, you know, you may not be the worst at this, but can I remind you that fear takes many forms? That it's not always the most obvious or, or um, you know, the first way that we consider fear. Fear takes many forms. Do you ever find yourself anxious, worried, sleepless, troubled, hesitant, tense, fretful, angry? Because all of those are versions of fear, or they are the response to fear. This is something that everyone struggles with to one degree or another. And again, this is not something that's only real during spooky season, okay? We deal with this fear issue. Many of us live under a spirit of fear all year long. In fact, you can make a solid argument from the Bible that fear is our oldest problem. Do you realize that? Fear is our oldest problem. This is true. Think back to Genesis chapter number three. We've got Adam and Eve in the garden. God gives them one rule, don't eat the fruit. Why did they do that? Why did they eat the fruit? It's fear. It is. The reason is because they were afraid that God was withholding something good from them, that they were missing out. They had FOMO. That was the original sin, honestly. And so they decided to eat because they were afraid that they were missing out on something good. If you continue on in that story, the first thing that Adam says After sin has entered the world, the first thing, God shows up. He's like, Adam and Eve, where are you guys? And Adam says, I hid myself because I was afraid. Fear is our oldest problem. Not only is it our oldest problem, but it's probably our most common problem. Fear is probably our most common problem. Did you know that in the scriptures, we are told, do not be afraid or fear not, 365 times. 365 times. In fact, it is the most repeated command in the entire scripture. God says it again and again and again. Why? Because we need that reminder every single day. Do you think it's a coincidence that fear not occurs in the scripture 365 times? No, it is one reminder for every single day of the year. I guess you could argue that like every four years on leap day, then you could be afraid, okay? But the other days of the year, God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear is probably our most common problem. These verses and and the, the ones that we're reading today, the ones that are there in the scripture, they serve as a daily reminder, not that there is nothing to fear, but that we do not have to live in fear. Many of us, and, and, and maybe even unknowingly, we risk living under a spirit of fear to approach our daily life afraid of the decisions we have to make or fear that we're alone or that we're not going to know the right thing to do. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, the scripture says. So what does that mean? Well, we can certainly think of a spirit of fear as like a a perspective, a way of approaching life in which we make decisions because we're afraid of the worst case scenario and we're, we're just assuming the worst about everyone and everything. That's one way we can understand a spirit of fear. Another way that we can understand a spirit of fear is that uh, Paul here might be referring to a demonic spirit, a fearful spirit that is oppressing you. And both of those are biblical. You could understand both of those perspectives or truths 
from the Bible itself and even in this passage. But if you pay really close attention to 2 Timothy 1.7, you know what you discover? Paul actually isn't focusing on the spirit of fear here. That's not what he's talking about. The spirit of fear is actually kind of incidental to his main focus. His main point is not a spirit of fear. It's the spirit of God. This is what Paul wants you to understand, what he wants me to hear, not to focus on the spirit of fear in the spooky season, but instead, I don't know how many times this month I'm going to do it, but I I have a feeling it's going to be a lot. No, he wants us to focus on the Holy Spirit. See, Paul's words here, they're not focused on the natural or even the supernatural, they're focused on the spiritual. He's comparing the Spirit of God that we've received when we become followers of Jesus to the Spirit that most people in the world end up living under. When the Holy Spirit comes in, the Holy Spirit drives out what is natural, what is unregenerate, what is evil, what is unhealthy inside of us. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to rid us of the worldly spirit or spirits that might be present within us, all right? This includes fear. Yes, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but it also includes a whole bunch of other spirits that we might adopt or live under without even realizing it. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but you know what? God has not given us a spirit of self-reliance either. God has not given us an orphan spirit. God has given us his Holy Spirit. And when we have his Holy Spirit, we don't need to live in fear or self-reliance or a belief that we're all alone because his Holy Spirit comes in and proves to us that none of that is true. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, brings power, love, and wisdom to each and every one of us. So let's pull some principles from this verse here, 2 Timothy 1.7. Let's, let's pull some truths out of it, okay? The first one is this. A spirit of fear will make me feel powerless, but the spirit of God always brings power. If I'm living under a spirit of fear, then I will, I will tell myself I am powerless. I have no power, no agency, no ability to change my situation. All I can do is just sit here and hope it doesn't get any worse. That's a lie. You are never powerless when you have God's spirit with you. Why? Because God cannot be powerless. He is the source of all power. And so if we ever find ourselves in circumstances or situations, if we ever find ourselves in our daily lives and we feel powerless, we need to remind us, I have not been given a spirit of fear, of powerlessness. I've been given the Holy Spirit of God who always brings power wherever he goes. Let me show you just what kind of authority and power is present with God's spirit. The Greek word that's used in this verse for power, in fact, it's the Greek word that's used everywhere the word power occurs in the New Testament is dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. 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 All right. Dunamis is a Greek word. You're probably not familiar with it. However, we get a very interesting word in English from the Greek word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from the Greek word dunamis or power. All right. The, The strength The power that God confers on his children is explosive. It is strong enough to do anything you might need it to do. In fact, you could argue that basically there isn't a situation in the world that could not be solved with dynamite, okay? You need a a hole blasted through a mountain, get you a stick of dynamite. You need your neighbor's dog to to stop barking day after day after day. Dynamite. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm an animal lover. I'm just kidding. The point is this. God's children never need to feel powerless when the source of all power is within them. 
You are not powerless. I know sometimes you feel powerless, and you're not alone in that. How much you want to bet Moses felt powerless when he was standing in front of the Red Sea? But then God said, lift your hands. How much you want to bet that Joshua felt powerless to win the battle, and God said, I got you covered, and he marched the sun backwards in the sky so the Israelite army would have enough time to win the victory. Gideon felt powerless when the angel showed up and said, greetings, mighty warrior. The, the Virgin Mary, she felt powerless when she said, how can these things be since I've never known a man? To which the angel responded, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the dunamis of the Most High will overshadow you. The apostles felt powerless after Jesus was crucified. And then he rises from the dead. And in Acts chapter number one, verse eight, he says, but you guys are gonna receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. My friends, the Spirit of God will never leave you powerless. Instead, it's always going to make you powerful. It is going to empower you to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. Now, look, this verse doesn't mean any little idea that comes into your brain, God is going to give you the power to do. That's not what I said, and that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says God will always give you the power to do what he has called you to do. Essentially, if we could go back to last week, God is not always going to empower your plans, but he will always empower your purpose, okay? This is what the Scripture promises. So I want to ask you, in what area of your life are you feeling powerless right now? What circumstances seem hopeless? What situations does it feel like it's never going to change and you have no options in front of you? Is it a, a wayward child? Did you get a cancer diagnosis? Is it your addiction? Do you have a financial burden that feels hopeless? Is it doubts about your faith? Listen, whatever is causing you fear today, I want you to pray that God would light a stick of dunamis power and toss it into your life and see what breaks loose. Amber and I got to experience this a little bit today. I can't go into too many details because we're trying not to get ahead of ourselves. Well, this weekend we did. But there is a situation that we have been battling, an obstacle, a mountain that's been in front of us. And for six years, we've been turned down, turned away, and told no. Can't happen, won't happen, sorry guys. And then out of nowhere, this week, circumstances changed. And probably the second greatest thing I've been praying in my life over the last decade is now possible. We're not having a baby, so don't go touch my wife's belly today. That's not what it is. It's something else. And my hope is in a very short order of time, I'm going to be able to stand in front of you and tell you about a situation that seemed incredibly hopeless. It didn't matter like how much money we threw at the problem. We couldn't fix it. It didn't matter how many lawyers we got involved with the problem. We couldn't fix it. It just seemed hopeless. We felt powerless, but nobody is powerless when the source of all power is with them. So I want to pray for you right now. And if you say, Dan, I've got, I've got a situation in my life in which I feel powerless and I'm just asking God to reveal some of his dunamis power, throw up your hand right now. I'm serious. Let's go. Father, I'm praying power and breakthrough over every single person that was willing to raise their hand today. I pray that they would leave this morning with a deep confidence that they are not alone and that God, they are not powerless. They have you on their side. So God, grant them breakthrough. God, grant them deliverance. Grant them courage. Grant them an answer to prayer, Lord. Demonstrate 
your mighty power in their lives, and then, Lord, give them great opportunity to praise you for what you do. We ask this in your name. Amen. Oh, that's just point one, you guys. Because Paul goes on in this verse to say that, you know, although, yes, the spirit of Phil will make you uh, feel powerless, but the spirit of God makes you feel powerful. He goes on to say here that the spirit of fear will make you feel unloved, but God's spirit reminds me that I am eternally loved. I am eternally loved. We live in a world in which people are desperate for love and acceptance, don't we? Yeah, seriously. Dysfunctional relationships, broken homes, transactional friendships, that's the norm. That's what people experience in their regular life. We all carry around a fear that if people actually knew us, they probably wouldn't love us. See, a spirit of fear tells you that you are not loved and that you're not lovable. Not only that you're not loved, but the reason you're not loved is because you're not lovable. But this too is a lie. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul reminds us that when we receive God's spirit, we receive his love. That's part of the deal. It comes as a package. He says it even more plainly in Romans chapter number eight, verse 15. He says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Same, you understand it's the same language here. This is a different letter to a different church and he's using the exact same language. Why? Because like every Christian needs to know this stuff. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we have the privilege to call him Abba, Father. You see, God doesn't just love us. He loves us so much, he adopts us into his family. There are a lot of people I love in the world. Most of them I don't want to adopt into my family. Do you understand where I'm coming from here? You got to really love somebody. You got to love them fully and completely. You got to know them completely and you got to love them in spite of what you know in order to bring them into your family. And this is precisely what God has done for every single one of us. It's too easy to live under a spirit of fear that says nobody cares about me and I'm unloved and I'm unlovable. But God reminds us every single day, I haven't given you that kind of spirit. I've given you my spirit, which also includes my love. The Apostle Pond, uh, J- Pond. The, uh, the Apostle John, that's Paul and John combined together. The Apostle John, he also spells out how love conquers fear in 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18, he says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So the one who lives in fear has not yet understood God's perfect love. See, we have a tendency to think that the antidote or the opposite to fear is courage, right? So if I'm fearful, then I need to act like a man and be courageous. Or we spiritualize and we say, no, the opposite of fear is faith. But do you know consistently throughout the scripture, the Bible says the opposite of fear is love. Love is what drives out fear. Love is what conquers fear. If you are living under a spirit of fear, then you need to understand more fully just how much you are eternally loved by your creator. The question though is like, we hear this, but are we gonna believe it? Or are we gonna say to ourselves, no, you know what? I'm the exception to that rule. Or there's a catch in there somewhere that I know I'm gonna get caught by. No, you are fully and completely loved by your creator. So I want you to ask yourself, In what ways am I afraid that I'm unloved or unlovable? Could have been that your family rejected you or that you haven't found a spouse yet or you have self-esteem issues or you can't get past that breakup that's been hounding you for a long time. Any and all of those can lead to a spirit of fear, but God has given you his eternal love through the Holy Spirit. 
So just like we did a moment ago, I want to pray for those of you that feel unloved and unlovable. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, and here's why. Because I know if we're all honest, we're all going to raise our hands. So I'm just going to assume that every hand is raised this morning, and I want you to join me in prayer right now. Father, we offer ourselves to you, God, knowing that you love us fully and completely. There's not a single one of us that has to go without a family. There's not a single one of us that has to live a day without healthy biblical community. There's not a single one of us, God, that has to wake up each morning afraid that we are unloved and unlovable. So God, I'm praying that you would use your spirit, God, today to convince people of your love for them, your forgiveness of them, your acceptance of them, your healing over them. I'm praying for those that feel lonely this morning, that God, they would discover this community, this family called church, and that God, it would transform their lives in the same way it transformed me when I was 16 years old. Thank you for the truth and the promise that we are eternally loved by you, God. Help us to live under that spirit and not the spirit of fear. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, one more. Paul says that a spirit of fear can lead us to feel foolish, but the spirit of God grants us sound judgment. Spirit of God grants us sound judgment. Now, this, this phrase here, sound judgment, it's translated a bunch of different ways in different passages because it's a complex word. It's not a simple one. In fact, this word in Greek, it's the only time it ever occurs in the New Testament. It's like the only one. It's almost like Paul is inventing words here to get us to understand, basically, okay? He says the Spirit gives us sound judgment. In other translations, it says God offers us wisdom or self-discipline is a different way. And the word carries all of those meanings. So listen, when we have decisions that we need to make, one of the primary emotions that tends to creep up is fear. What if I don't have all the information? And what if I choose wrong? Man, I can't even tell you how many times people have sat down with me and they're like, but what if I don't choose God's perfect will? (laughs) What if I get it wrong? I was supposed to date that person and not this one. I was supposed to go to that school and not this one. I was supposed to live in this city and not that one. What if I miss God's perfect will? Fear distorts. Do you realize that? Fear distorts. When you are afraid, you don't see things clearly. You ever been out late at night? Just walk in, maybe you're by yourself, and there's no reason to be afraid. There's nothing hiding there. There's nobody like around the corner peering at you, but there's like this dread that can come over you. Do you understand that fear is distorting what's actually going on. You're perfectly safe, okay? You're gonna be fine. But we have this sense when we're afraid that that things are gonna go horribly wrong. What that actually should uh, inform us of is that fear distorts. We don't see things clearly. I know it's cliche and I promised myself I wasn't going to say this, but like it's been pointed out a million times that one way you could define fear is as an acronym, false evidence appearing real. I hate that so much. I genuinely hate that, but it is kind of true because fear distorts. It, it, it forces you to see things in an unhealthy, untrue, ungodly way. But when God's spirit comes in, he gives you truth. He gives you answers. He gives you sound judgment. Listen, you do not have to fear missing the perfect will of God. Can I just tell you that? If you want the perfect will of God, and you are doing your best to pursue it according to what the scripture says, you ain't gonna miss it. You can't. God loves us too much. It's not a test. He's not trying to see if we'll find it or fail or whatever. Like, just put that out of your head. 
learn what God's will is according to the scripture, and then go pursue it the best you can. He will take care of the rest. I know you don't have all the answers. Guess what? You're never going to have all the answers, my friends. When we have to make decisions, there's always going to be gaps in our understanding and knowledge. Why? Because we're not God. Thankfully, God is on our side. We have the Holy Spirit who has all knowledge. And so the knowledge we need, the wisdom we should have in the moment, God says the Spirit will provide it to us because he has not given us a spirit of fear. He has not given us a spirit of being foolish. He's given us a spirit of sound judgment. Now, listen, again, I don't want anybody to misunderstand what it is that I'm saying this morning. It is normal and natural to feel fear. Everybody feels fear. I feel fear. You feel free, fear. That's normal. And there are times in, in which feeling fear is the good, it's a good thing. It's the proper response. If you come across a poisonous spider in your garage, you should be afraid of that. If there's a guy dressed up like a clown chasing you, you should feel fear. That's okay in the moment, okay? It's one thing to feel fear. It's another thing to live afraid. Sometimes fear is proper, but a spirit of fear never is for the Christian. Just because I feel fear doesn't mean that I have to live afraid. Those two things are not the same. In his goodness, God grants us his spirit of power, love, and wisdom so that we don't have to live unsure of what to do with ourselves. We have a spirit of sound judgment. Hey, we have a spirit of self-discipline. We talked about this a few weeks ago. There are things that the spirit can enable you to do that you will never be able to do on your own. You may not ever be able to kick your addiction on your own, but with the spirit, you can. Your marriage may not ever be able to be reconciled, but through the spirit, it can be. Your doubts about your faith may not ever be assuaged, but you know what? They can be through the spirit. God has given us a spirit of sound judgment, of wisdom, and of self-discipline so that we can keep moving forward in the calling that he has for us. So one more time, in what area of your life do you need the spirit's leading right now? Is there a decision that you're facing and you feel um, unqualified to make the decision? You don't have the answers you need. You're very scared, fear that you're going to make the wrong choice in this. Is there something in your life and you're saying, Holy Spirit, I need your wisdom in this. I'm just going to ask you this time to raise your hand once more. Anybody say, hey, Dan, would you include me in that prayer? Wonderful. I want to do it. God, even now, I'm praying that a spirit of wisdom and insight, direction, and clarity would come over each and every person that raised their hand. That, God, they would use the sound judgment of the spirit in order to approach their problems. God, give them solutions that they've never considered. God, open doors that they thought were sealed and locked shut in front of them. And God, if you're calling them to exercise this, this spirit of self-discipline that you've given them, I pray, God, that you would empower them to do it. Give them the courage. Give them the ability, God, to say no to sin and temptation, to addictions and habits. Set them free, God, through the work and power of your spirit. That's my prayer for them today in your name. Amen. Hey, I told you at the start of this message that uh, fear not was the most common command in the Bible, right? It occurs 365 times. But do you know that not always, but like a lot of the time, God gives us an explanation for why we shouldn't fear. Again, I'll remind you, he's not saying there's nothing to be afraid of. There's plenty to be afraid of in life. But when he says fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, there is one reason that God gives again and again, and again. Does anybody know what it is? Fear not, 
for I am with you. Uh, I love this, you guys. You know, one of the things that is so frustrating is that we tell people when they're afraid, just get over it. Be bold, be courageous, get some bravery inside of you, you know? But it's like, if I could, I would. I, I can't. That's why I'm not. <laughs> but what God says is not do better. He says, I'm with you. I'm the source of all power. I'm the source of all love. I've got every answer you might need in your life. And I am with you. Man. When you wake up, what business do you have living under a spirit of fear? What business do you have believing that you're all on your own, that you're unlovable, that there's nothing you can do about your circumstances? What business do you have believing that you don't have what it takes to finally get past whatever's in front of you? You have the spirit of God with you. That's the spirit that's been given to you so you can do everything he's called you to do. Fear not, for I am with you. Now, you might be asking, well, Dan, how can I be sure? that I have God's spirit with me? Is he just like with everybody and all we have to do is recognize that his spirit is with everybody? I wish I could say yes, but the answer is no. By default, the Holy Spirit is actually not present with us. He doesn't take up, he's not living inside of us, okay? In fact, if we were to go back to Romans chapter number eight, this passage that we read a moment ago, the apostle Paul talks about how God adopted us into his family. Do you remember that? He adopted us into his family. I want you to think about that metaphor of adoption. When someone is adopted, they are brought from a different family into a new family. We all belong to a different family. We are not a part of God's family simply by virtue of the fact that we were born here on earth. We belong to a different father, if you want me to be honest with you, okay? However, God loves us so much that he wants to give us his spirit. In the same way when somebody's adopted, they receive a new last name. God wants to give us a new family name. He wants to call us by Jesus. He wants to bring us into the family. But you will not have the promised spirit of God, nor any of the benefits that we've been talking about this morning, unless and until you ask to become a part of God's family. I'm just being direct with you. Because I don't want any, I, like I've been talking to Christians this morning, and I don't want anybody who's not yet a believer to walk out thinking, oh, cool, God's on my side. No, 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 no. This is not about God getting on our side. This is about us getting on God's side, all right? Look at what Jesus said in, in uh, Revelation, chapter number three, verse 20. He says, listen up, hear me now, don't miss this. I stand at the door and knock. He's like, I'm, I'm knocking on your heart. You know I've been knocking. You've been hearing me for weeks, months, some of you even years, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, then I'll come into your life. He goes on to say, like, I'll come in and share a meal with you. We'll chill out, have some fried chicken, and I'll tell you all the good things that God has planned for you. But the key here is if we hear and open the door, it's not enough merely to hear. We've got to accept. We've got to embrace.